Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before. We've got insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, true crime, and much, much more. From Married at First Sight to Big Brother to Love is Blind to Survivor. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of Unscripted TV. I've done shows like Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes, among many other. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make Unscripted TV and documentaries, true crime, game shows, you name it. Not just something you watch, but a cultural phenomenon. Now... If you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate it with five stars. Download it as well. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All righty, let's get started. Today, My guest is one of the most talented network executives in reality television. She's held posts at TLC, Discovery Channel, We, FYI, and is currently the executive vice president and head of programming for Lifetime Unscripted and FYI. She's been a part of the development of such hits as Married at First Sight, Tiny House Nation, Dance Moms, and My Fair Wedding. Please welcome Gina McCarthy. Gina, thank you for being here. Anything for you, Steve. It's my pleasure. It's great talking to you. <laughs> Likewise. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, I want to dive in and talk about surviving Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. Um, just aired a few weeks ago. Fantastic four-part docuseries. And you guys really did a fantastic job giving voice to the survivors, um, directed by A. Sunberg and Ricky Stern. My first question is, you know, it's very tough sometimes to be second, you know, because you had the Netflix documentary, Filthy Rich. What was that mentality going in? First of all, thank you for the lovely introduction. I appreciate that very, very much. <laughs> uh, always one of my favorite showrunners, oh, Steve Berkowitz, you. that I've worked with. Um, we we greenlit uh, a, a very aggressive development step um, for, you know, it was called the Jeffrey Epstein Project. Um Back in, I believe it was July, when they surprised him and arrested him at, at I believe it was Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. Um, you know, woke up one day and started seeing all of these news reports. And I, I confess, I didn't really know that much about him. I hadn't truly followed that story. Um, I hadn't read the James Patterson book um, that I believe the Netflix series was based upon, but uh, we had had extraordinary success with surviving R. Kelly. And the stories seemed horrifyingly, um, you know, I wish I could say shocking, but it, right. as we get into these stories, it, it isn't as shocking as you might think, yeah. just people's yeah. behavior, people of power and privilege. The stories themselves had an eerie, haunting familiarity to many of the stories um, that uh, the producers and the team responsible for SRK had had shown this 
amazing light on. So it's kind of like at the back on the vestigial brain at the back sure. of my head, um, it started, you know, like, could is there something that we could do? Um, Bobby Friedman, the wonderful Bobby Friedman at Bungalow, and his head of development, Megan Lawrence, um, put a call into me a few days after the arrest and just pitched a, you know, a show tracking all of this. So we agreed to put it into development back in July, um, you know, with a lot of caveats. It's obviously a hugely sensitive yeah. uh, idea. Uh, it's a hugely legally fraught idea as well. Um, but we put it into development and our uh, fantastic PR people, Kenny and Michael Feeney, um, thought it would be wise for us to expand our surviving franchise. So that's, that's how it became part of the, of this brilliant surviving franchise that lifetime has pioneered because the stories were so powerful. Bobby and his team had gotten wind that Netflix was doing a show as well, but if the concept is important enough and large enough and powerful enough, you know, we felt confident that we could tell a story for the Lifetime platform um, in the voice that we created in Surviving R. Kelly, which is the female first-person testimony. Um, you know, it, it's a portal for those female survivors to tell their stories and for us to um, it's such a gigantic story with so yeah. many moving parts. I mean, I, I don't know that anyone will ever truly know the full extent of everything. Sure. So, you know, it was it was hard to try to corral um, all of the, the moving story points, but putting it through that surviving female first testimony made us feel very confident that we could do a version that's true to the woman. Um, that would be hugely compelling, hugely emotional, and factually rigorous, um, and do something that was unique to us. So uh, even if you're second, if you still have a best-in-class <laughs> approach to content that is true to your specific brand, that's what I worry about and try to mentor the teams that I work with to, to really focus on that. And if you go too far astray, you know, and tracking the financial angle, et cetera, then, well, then that, you know, that could be a history channel show that could, that could be, and, you sure. know, was a big part of the Netflix show, but we're, we're lifetime. So trying to keep a good, tight, compelling focus on the woman's stories um, was a big part of, of my job with the producers. And it, it's had a big impact after airing, uh, the National Sexual Assault Hotline has reported that 34%, um, they've had a 34% increase in calls. Um, so people clearly saw the saw the series and have responded by reporting more stories of sexual assault. So, I mean, I think it's a big, a big kudos to Lifetime for doing these series. How does that kind of make you feel? as a network executive to know that the programming you're doing does have a, a positive impact on people that they're watching and they're, they're feeling the need to act upon that. I, it's a very rare feeling and it's a very powerful feeling. Um, 
it's it's very rare that you can do high caliber content that truly does impact people's lives, hopefully for the better, you know, not just to entertain and to help people escape and forget their worries, which I, I think we're all very proud. I know sure. I'm very proud if I can offer that through content that I touch. But in this case, to truly have the ability to change and help people is very special. And um, I, I know that I speak for Lifetime and for the extended production family that worked on this and for this and for the female survivors themselves. That's what it's really all about. Um, so many of the survivors have these initiatives and agree to participate in our show in order to shine a light on the issues and to help other women in similar situations. So it made it all absolutely worth it. And thank you for thank you for sharing that statistic because it's it's very meaningful. Yeah, of course. Um, one of the things I I think is very interesting about the Lifetime brand is you can do surviving R. R. Kelly, surviving Jeffrey Epstein. You can also do Married at First Sight. How are you guys able to think about the brand when you are ha- able to have that kind of diversity um, of, like you said, escapism, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, this very serious angle? How, how do you guys balance that? Well, you know, Lifetime is a brand for women. So it's a portal for for anything that has huge female appeal. But in, in terms of how we organize um, our, our approach to development um, across scripted and unscripted, but I'm going to speak very sure. specifically, obviously, about sure. unscripted. Yeah. But it, it, we call or I call um, this idea of relationships the North Star for content development across the entire brand. Um, relationships can take many forms. They can be toxic and criminal and abusive as, as captured in Surviving yeah. Kelly or in Surviving Jeffrey Epstein or in some of these very compelling rip from the headline movies and companion documentaries that we do and have, and have done successfully for, for decades. It can be, um, you know, relationships on the, on the nose in terms of aspirational escapist, high entertainment, social experiments like Married at First Sight. Um, it can cover doc soaps that track these authentic tribes of women um, that are wildly entertaining and wildly escapist, you know, from, from Dance Moms and Bring It to the Little Woman franchise. So um, I think the connective tissue and the DNA that all of these properties share is this idea of relationships as, as the big tentpole North Star that allows us to kind of slice and dice and experiment with a, with a wide range of subgenres. Um, you know, the tone of voice is authentic and, um, you know, viewers really, really trust us either to escape with or for yeah. information and it works. So that we're going to stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, getting back to surviving Jeffrey Epstein, one of the things I noticed, there was a, a big reminder pretty much after each commercial break with the, yep. the car. Yes. The cards. Yeah. They, you know, basically laying out the, the status of each legal case and where the co-conspirators, their statements, whether it was from them or their lawyers, it looked, I mean, as a producer myself, I've, I've dealt with legal shows. I did a doctor show where we had to be 
on the money when it came to legal aspects, whether that was HIPAA. Um, I'm very curious. You want on a show, on a series like Surviving Jeffrey Epstein, you want to give 100% voice to the survivors, but you're also very leery as any networks about being sued. How, how much of a fine line was that for you as a network and how kind of worried were you that maybe you were crossing a line? Here's a little tidbit. When we started development on this, we sat with some wonderful colleagues who who, who looked at me <laughs> and sure Davison, my co-EP on the lifetime side, and said he's he's never been worried about his colleague's safety before on a show. Yeah. And and good luck. Let's let's be buttoned <laughs> up. I'm like, we just sort of quietly looked at each other and okay, caught raised yeah. an eyebrow. All right, we will be very, I mean, obviously you have to be buttoned up. We obviously have to be very careful when we tell any story involving real people's lives, real people's livelihoods, real people's reputations. So for this one, we and the producers, and again, I I can't sing the praises highly enough. I'm just going to rattle through a couple of names because I, you know, they deserve tremendous recognition for pulling this together in a year and one month and in the midst of a pandemic as well. But Bobby Friedman, Mike Powers, Megan Lawrence are magnificent to work with. Annie Sundberg, Ricky Stern, Maya Tepler, you know, I could go on and on with other names. David Doss on our side, who's an award-winning journalist that works with us on a lot of these legally legally sensitive projects within the AETN portfolio. Sherrod Davison, Jasmine White, you know, it was a very close-knit band. Um, We worked very closely, obviously, with our legal team, with Bungalow's outside counsel as well. And it was just a very smart group of producers who were able to dig in, tell these compelling stories, you know, unearth some new facts uh, and shine a light on anecdotes and stories that had never been heard before but do it within legal boundaries. And, um, you know, we don't do it too often on Lifetime and the unscripted side, but when we do do it, it's very meaningful and it's very high profile. So we had to do it right. Um, And we're very lucky that we, we work with some very brilliant, very supportive colleagues on our legal side, whose advice we listen to closely, (laughs) even when they're teasing us. Slightly trying to scare us, but for the, all the right reasons, because it worked. You've got to love the legal team, right? Got to yep. love them. When Ghislaine Maxwell gets arrested, how big of a shift was there in the project? I assume you were pretty deep into, you know, into post-production. Was there just a massive shift in like, okay, we've got to add this and, or, or was it already, you know, were you in a good point in the process to where it wasn't that big of a shift? It, it was both simultaneously. I mean, because our focus was, you know, uh, on the on the female story first, and because what we do in in our show and surviving Jeffrey Epstein as a, as opposed to the other content that that's all very well done and very obviously very compelling and and excellent uh, pieces themselves. But our kind of organizing principle was this almost a caste system. A Ponzi scheme of headed by Epstein, but with a lot of these, you know, alleged co-conspirators. No one has been convicted, Um, and a lot of women. It's a lot of women on woman recruitment 
and uh, betrayal and and perpetration. It was it's incredibly elaborate, incredibly calculated, um, cunning, ruthless, uh, destructive, and and because Ghislaine was the alleged second in command to this, you know, kind of female pon- recruitment Ponzi scheme, she was always um, a core focus of the four-part series. Now, when she was arrested, it, you know, the the we had we had greenlit it as a four-part documentary series, but really with three, maybe three and a quarter of the episodes as full 100, uh, 100%, you know, immersive documentary editorial. Um, sure. We had reserved that fourth episode to be uh, ideally sort of a survivor's round table discussion. So um, a bit of a hybrid, like if we had the carryover, this massive story into the top of episode four, and then have a, have a, have a round table with, with the woman and the um, psychologists kind of talking about it and giving a platform for, you know, for Rain, whom we partnered with. Um, for example, that was the original design. When, when she was arrested, um, it just kind of, and, and again, it, it obviously, we came after the Netflix series. It became, you know, a, a unique differentiator that we could head and tail our series with. And because right. that had been the focus, it just gave us an entire fourth hour um, that was very satisfying for for the survivors, you know, and very hopeful. It, it allowed us to end on a on a ray of hope that there may be justice right. for, you know, who knows how many, hundreds, sure. you know, some people say thousands of of survivors. Um, but maybe, maybe finally they can get some justice through the capture and prosecution eventually of Ghislaine. So you and I met when you, you know, you were launching FYI um, and you started that in, in 2013, which, you know, when you, when you think about launching a network, that's a pretty, pretty heavy task. What was that like having this huge task of going, Oh yeah, I'm just going to turn bio and we're just going to launch it into this brand new network. How big of a task was that for you? I mean, was it something that you were like, this is amazing and this is the greatest thing of my career? Or were you overwhelmed and every morning you were waking up going, oh my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Uh, I was not overwhelmed. I like creative problem solving. And for me, it was a reunion, a, 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 Fantastic reunion um, with with a mentor of mine, Jaina Bennett, who, um, who who I'd worked for. She was one of oh my god, I think there I would think I, I think there were four general managers when I was at TLC, but you know that I that I served under, and she she was one of them, and she's she's fantastic. Um, so when I when I moved from Lifetime down to FYI. We had basically, I think it was 10 months. I moved down in September and we launched in July. Is that 10 months? I don't know. Fix my math, Steve. <laughs> I always need someone to fix my math. Do anything else, but just help me with my math. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, Tom Moody, Jaina Bennett, all of these fabulous folks who had done deep dive 
research into millennials. You know, back back then, you know, it was yeah. it was millennials. It was millennials was the, right. What are millennials thinking? When that's the hot sure. trend. So there was a lot of research um, that I was able to kind of step into and immerse myself in. And there was a very clear, I would say that the clarity of trying to reinvent classic genres with a more youthful point of view or more unexpected point of view, um, and then turning it over to me, again, working with brilliant people, but as the content um, head, uh, I was given a lot of freedom to be very experimental. When I came in, the research pointed to three core genres for us, relationship, home, and food. And, you know, and then do it with a millennial leaning focus. So, okay. and, and then go, go at it and we'll come in and we'll discuss, but, you know, go out and find things that are not prescriptive, that are um, looser around the edges, that, you know, it can be a bit more unique, particularly within our portfolio and within the lifestyle world. Um, so we talked to tons of folks, but I was able to hire uh, somebody that had a very deep portfolio in home content. You and I worked with James on Nation, yes. for example. James, James Bullock. I was able Great to guy. hire someone yeah. that had deep doc soap experience. And I was able to bring over Toby eventually full time. And he he could he can do anything. He can do doc soap or format. Um, you know, I'm the weirdo that's done everything every genre for every demographic <laughs> under the book. So it's like focusing on right. Ron. And FYI was by design a dual skewing brand. So it was designed to be 60% female, 40% male and have great crossover appeal. So that's a sweet spot for me because it lets me play from both sides of, of my experience. And, um, you know, we did, but by the time we launched 10 months later, we had a robust pipeline. <clears throat> you don't think, or I, I try not to think about, oh my God, we're actually creating a new network. That's, yeah. that's only the night that you launch your first show, Steve, and then you, yeah. you don't sleep very well. Right. And if you're, I, you know, I think I, I try to hide my true level of neuroses under a calm facade, but <laughs> you really yeah. know me. It's like, oh my God, uh, very, very nervous until you get those ratings, you know. Yeah, Maybe sure. Delayed ratings now, but we were able, Married at First Sight was our launch show. Yep. And so yeah. for, for our three core genres, we had very unique brand definitional swings. Married at First Sight, Tiny House Nation, and Epic Mule Empire. And all three of them were successful in different ways. Uh, Married and Tiny were bonafide hits and are still going. Epic Mule Empire, you know, for, for the scope of FYI's reach was actually successful from a ratings point of view. We did two seasons of it and it certainly made an impact. Um, and we just, you know, we went from there and, you know, at the end of the day, it's about great transcendent content and, and, and we're just very pleased and fortunate that people responded to the, to the voice of the brand. Yeah. Married at First Sight kind of reinvigorated the dating space. Mm-hmm. I felt, I felt like at that time, everyone was a little bit tired of hearing bachelor-esque type pitches and Married mm-hmm. at First Sight kind of reinvigorated the way people thought about dating or relationship space. What was it about hearing the Married at First Sight pitch that made you go, oh, okay, 
you know, let, let's, let's take a swing at this. Well, we'd never heard it before. Um, it's, it was, it was a daring, the title alone, I mean, that doesn't guarantee success, but uh, I often tell producers or, or developers when they're pitching us, you know, think of a good title and think of a good log line because 60% of the time, it really, at least for me, it does arrest my attention. And, um, and maybe maybe 70% of the time I'm, I'm right with that instinct um, yeah. because it does lead to something that's either single, double, triple, or you know those rarefied true home runs. This Married at First Sight was a true home run. It was a long process to get a greenlit though. Um, so it was pitched to me. I'll just give you a little bit of this story. I think Chris Colin kind of sent it out to to everyone simultaneously. So I was boarding a plane to Los Angeles and just saw the title and, and the pitch. I couldn't watch it for a while. So I sent it to sent it to a group of um, you know, my small, small but brilliant <laughs> development team of like three, three people. Um, and we, you know, we all caught up on it and and it was and now it's a Danish format. So right. It was not just like what when you saw it, it's also when you read the subtitles because you had to read the subtitles because everything yes. was in Danish with with subtitles, but I'd never I'm like, oh, the sizzle's really good. Can you send can you send me some actual episodes? And I watched and multiple people on the team, we all, you know, watched every single episode with I just with subtitles. I'd never seen anything quite like it before. Um, I have called it the, you know, with great respect for The Bachelor, but in quotes, the anti-Bachelor approach to relationship content. I say it with respect because, you know, nobody can outdo, and again, tying into what you asked me before, we can't outdo The Bachelor. You know, in my first run at Lifetime, when we had tried to do doxo content or things that were too much in the voice of what ABC does best in The Bachelor, what Bravo does best with their Real Housewives franchise. When Lifetime, we didn't try it too often, but we now it's, te- it's tempting to try when you're trying to invent an editorial voice for Unscripted on a brand like Lifetime, whose bread and butter and legacy is all scripted movies and, and serialized scripted series. So we experimented a lot in my first year at Lifetime and anything that felt too derivative um, of those, you know, brilliant things that came first just never connected with their viewers. You know, they can see and watch the best in class version on other brands. So when I saw this, it's a great big idea. Um, talk about legally fraught. There are many legal legal questions and, you I know, bet. we... Again, you know, we held each other accountable, but we were able to pull it off in good partnership with our friends in legal. Um, but it was, you know, that scared almost everyone else away from trying it. And again, being given the trust and the freedom to be bold and experimental, as I was given at FYI, was in our was in our favor because um, what what's the you know as long as it was within legal constraints and properly done, you know, what, what's the harm in trying something bold and arresting in a new, on a new property like FYI, you know, the, the risk of, as opposed to launching it on lifetime, wasn't quite as 
high, you know, right. um, and it, and it paid off, but the, you know, the ethos of it and the editorial voice of it is much more authentic. Um, it's putting ordinary people with an authentic quest to find true love into an extraordinary circumstance, this social experiment. And the joy, I, I still EP it to this day, the, the joy of it for me is that each season has its own unique flavor. Um, it's just one of these brilliant, simple, clean formats that you know, if you curate it carefully and if you, you keep freshening it, I call them like little cosmetic tweaks, not a full facelift season right. on season, but cos- cosmetic tweaks and enhancements. Um, it is it is quite evergreen because people are different, you know. Sure. If you cast the right people and their and their goals are sincere, there are a million and one iterations of the show that can go on and on and on. That that is a good place for me to follow up. You you've spun Married at First Sight off. You have the the first year happily ever after. Um, you're doing unmatchables. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think this franchise has become such a phenomenon? I well, I call it the gift that keeps on giving. You know, we have to be we have to be careful. We have to curate it properly so it doesn't sure. get tapped out. But um, I think we've always been. I think we've always been true to ourselves and to the promise of of, of this brand. It's real. It's it. The stakes are real. It's not. It's a real legally binding marriage. We. Um, and the matchmaking process, you know, every year you get all, oh, hundreds, oh, oh, look at all of these people. The volume's magnificent. And then at the end of the day, when you come to folks, will you, you know, hey, we've chosen you. Would you like to be legally married to a stranger? <laughs> 95% of them still to this day fall out because it's, it's a huge leap of faith. And yeah. 95%... Of P- I wouldn't do it, would you? So no. I can't blame them, you know? Sometimes it makes me sad because you really get <laughs> hopeful about certain people. But, but a lot, most people still drop out because the stakes are huge. It's real, you know, we're not yeah. faking it. Um, it's still to this day, I mean, people are like, well, what, you know, why don't you just, we can't just cast people, you know, the way you can on other on other shows that I've worked on and other shows that are hugely successful at other places. It has to be built for true compatibility. You know, it's taken very seriously. We're not setting people up for failure. Um, we're not setting people up for intentional fireworks because that would be, you know, that would be awful. Now, you never know what's going to happen when you put people that you think are beautifully matched together. That's, that's, I think, why the show remains so magnetic. Yeah. But it's because of that authenticity. So, you know, we, you, if people happen to be stunningly beautiful, that's amazing. If people happen to look like your neighbor next door, that's amazing, too. You know, it's the, the true reality of it um, that keeps it fresh and relevant. This season, we have <laughs> we have a, multiple, you know, amazing people participating, 
there is one couple, Amelia and Bennett, who are just um, so refreshing. They're just so uniquely themselves um, and, and so quirky and wonderful and so charming and funny. You know, it you, you would not find these people on other franchises because they never make it through. You know, they probably would would not make it through um, all all of the uh, il- kind of elimination rounds because you know they're not movie stars. They don't look like right. movie stars, but they they are the funniest, most charming, most refreshing couple we've had in a very long time, and nice. viewers are eating it up. It's it's amazing to watch. So you recently renewed Married at First Life for six seasons. Six. Yes. That's unprecedented. What gives you the confidence to make that big of an investment in the franchise? Because it's the real deal and, um, you know, our, our, our partners are the real deal in Kinetic. Um, everyone over there is the real deal and, um, you know, have honored everything they've said they would. We try to do the same, but the property, um, you know, you never want to, I'm very superstitious. So I never (laughs) like to say things that are grandiose that come back to haunt you. Um, you know, stay humble. (laughs) It's a big mantra of mine personally, but, um, it has, it has staying power. Um, I, because of this, the beautiful, elegant simplicity of the format and the authenticity of the format and the stakes are simple but perennially very high in that it is a legally binding marriage you know you don't have to um that never goes away that will always be huge personal stakes Um, the hunger to find real love i don't think will ever go away i think people um, are seeking it and seeking watching it happen um, now more than ever, given what's happening in the world around us. And you know, as long as people want to participate in it, um, then the, the format remains fresh every season based upon the personalities and the characters that go through the process. Um, I think the fact that, that it is a real process, it is designed, obviously, it doesn't always work out. But because it is designed to create successful, loving relationships, and we have, you know, to date nine couples and four families, you know, and and some of those three of them, they're going to have two children, you know, yeah, God, God willing, with some of these new pregnancies. But it's real, and viewers can smell that, and they can taste it, and they respond to it. So. We try to we try to give those those um, you know hope, hopefully clever but strategic <laughs> upgrades each season to keep to keep it fresh. You know we switch cities season on season to keep it fresh to take it around the country. Um, but we just we think it's a keeper and we think it has perennial appeal, and we work very hard to make it as compelling and entertaining and authentic as we can. Indeed. Um, I read that you have a show in development, a dating show in development with Sarah Jessica Parker as executive producer. Yes. Yes. What, yeah. What can you tell us about that as well as how important is it 
for producers, developers to have a celebrity attached to their show? I, I, we're, we're very excited by that one. It's a pilot that we've commissioned. Um, the working title is Swipe Swap. It is an unscripted version of the romantic comedy The Holiday with Cameron, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet, in which two women agree to swap locations, swap homes, swap lifestyles in hopes that they can find a real romantic connection in a different part of the country. So again, it's really simple. Um, there's a nostalgia for the movie, The Holiday. Um, it, I, I think that it is a spoke, you know, we were talking about earlier within this relationship genre, different spokes of that wheelhouse. I think it's a great, great creative swing um, in that wheelhouse because it is aspirational. It is escapist. It is, you know, we think that now that people have been in quarantine for who knows for a long time already and who knows yes. how long to come that it could scratch that itch of like vicarious armchair travelers just longing if you can't physically travel and do this yourself to imagine what it might be like. So for all of those reasons, we think it's just a beautiful, you know, addition and a great swing for us um, in our, in our, in the, the most important genre for us in unscripted, which is this relationship wheelhouse. Now, you know, I do respond to concepts um, above all else. This one is the best of, of both worlds. Um, we're working with um, Sarah Jessica Parker and Allison with her production company and also um, with, with the great guys at ITV. Um, so it's a great kind of production and development partnership between those two entities and then working with us also to curate it for lifetime. Um, so that it really is the best of both worlds because she's, you know, she is, she's her own North star and I, you know, she just is sure. she's amazing. And it's certainly, and she's fully invested creatively in the casting process and the format process. And I, you know, and, and in the, the pilot execution, when we get to that point, and obviously she is, you know, beloved and brings great promotional attention to everything that she does. So this is an ideal scenario. Um, it's not an essential scenario that we have a, a celebrity of such marquee status as Sarah Jessica Parker attached to ideas when they come in the gate. Um, it's additive, um, but if, if the concept doesn't feel like it's right for us, um, then we, we probably wouldn't do it even, you know, even with you know, magnificent people attached to it. What should people be pitching you these days? It's, I'm sure it's, it's a little wacky right now because as you said, we don't know. We don't know how long we're going to be in this weird situation. What should people be pitching you? We, you know, we, you know, just hold hands together and, you know, collectively we'll, we'll figure it out. I mean, that, that's, that's our approach. That's my approach, um, both in my personal life and professionally, yeah. but on the, on, on the more important for, for you, yeah, on the professional front here, um, you know, think of, think of super serving that relationship wheelhouse. You know, we have, we have basically two, I don't want to be so prescriptive. We only have two nights and X amount of hours. And then people get, get nervous about how many hours are, are still remaining. We're always on the hunt for great lightning rod concepts. Um, you know, 
uh, swipe swap is a self-contained format in the relationship genre. Um, you mentioned Married at First Sight Unmatchables, which is another self-contained, very loud, very funny um, transformation format with known talent because we pulled Pastor Cal and Dr. Viviana out of the master franchise and into it. That's a great self-contained one that we think has some heat. Um, hoping to be able to announce some other things that we've been working on in the next month or two that are just great, loud, buzzy, self-contained swings. I'm emphasizing that because we're, you know, we always need some good, durable, repeatable franchises. Sure. Um, you know, but anything that feels like a unique, loud, you know, what's the next generation of Married at First Sight? Um, Marrying Millions is another breakthrough series for us. You know, it's another spoke of that wheelhouse. It's more of a, of a dock soap, um, but it but it works for a lifetime with these outrageously relatable, authentic characters. We don't set up those characters. They're, you know, they are legitimate couples in their own right. And we try to to just tell these entertaining stories with them. So that wheelhouse is evergreen. And we're always looking for the next generation hit to come through um, across social experiments, across doc soaps, across docu-series. Um, we also have this growing wheelhouse of, of kind of quarterly tentpole documentaries, um, whether it's in the Justice for Women social justice banner, again, pioneered by Surviving R. Kelly. Um, Surviving R. Kelly Part 2 was wonderfully successful. Um, the team is working on Surviving R. Kelly Part 3 for next year as well. Um, you know, surviving Jeffrey Epstein was the latest iteration, um, but these temple documentaries can also be biopics. We have a great Wendy Williams um, two-hour documentary that's just outrageously relatable and in wildly entertaining. Um, that Brie has been working on heart and soul. And uh, there's a companion movie that goes along with it. These things have been announced a while ago. I'm just trying to give you the breadth yeah. Of, yeah. of these documentary swings that we take. And we're, and we're ta- you know, these ripped from the headline companion docs to movies. The ripped from the headline movies have been a staple of sure. lifetime content for decades. And um, these documentaries can be paired with the movies, or sometimes we're building them out so that they can stand on their own as sort of like three-part truth is stranger than fiction, um, you know, mini, mini, mini series in their own right. So it have to be loud. Um, we, you know, as much as we can control it, we want to be first out of the gate and telling them that's, that is, you know, the best scenario. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a wide range of content and, you know, our, our pipeline is robust and uh, you know, it's competitive, but that's good. So that hopefully the best things make it through to formal green light, but we're always, always on the hunt for it. Um, yeah, Paul Buccieri calls, you know, these breakthrough ideas, uh, heat seeking missiles. And I think that's a great, <laughs> I, you know, I think it applies to the tent poles as well as to the series. If it really does have that kind of heat seeking missile, filter to it in addition yeah. to the genre and the story, the normal, the normal production and development things we look at, um, you know, and anything that truly has worked on lifetime really does have that really has been a heat seeking yeah. missile. So, sure. Sure. you know, bring them on. Okay. Um, I, I asked, I asked our, our friend, Amy Savitsky this. So 
what's the worst pitch that you've ever heard? It's <laughs> the worst pitch you've ever heard. And what's the best pitch you've ever heard? Oh my lord! You obviously, you don't have to say who it was. No, like, no, what, I might, I might get in trouble if I'm. <laughs> are they going to know who it is? Are they, are they... Oh, I, I only tease people whom I love. I, I will. Well, we, we may at one point have received a pitch featuring talent that was not alive. Um, <laughs> So that that may have been that may have been one. <laughs> wow. That gonna, makes me yeah. feel a lot better. I'll yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We love, okay. we love everyone attached to it. Don't worry. Um the best hives too hard to say the the best pitch, you know. I mean just look at the sure. things that are that have worked and you you know where my where my heart lies, but um you know the things that feel unique, the thing the things that feel a bit risky um the things that touch your heart you know and have staying power are always the best pitches you know sometimes they they're hugely commercially successful and sometimes they're not but um the freshness of ideas and the arresting quality of ideas um when something makes me really excited uh you know to to dive into it and to start creating that's always the best pitch. Absolutely. Um, is there anything uh, that people should be watching right now on Lifetime? Is there anything that you want to just tell people you got to see this? Um, well, I mean, we're in the we're in the middle of you know. Look at our Wednesday and Thursday nights. We're in the middle of um, a very uh, a very compelling, very authentic season of Married at First Sight. We're in the middle of Marrying Millions season two, which is fabulous. Um, we have our couples cam, our COVID inspired kind of quick turn series, which just is all um, is all shot and produced by the couples them, themselves, um, which is which is a success in its own right. So, yeah. you know, just how we're building out these two nights and just look for things if it helps kind of inform development and gives people ideas of, OK, well, you know, I get that voice. I get it. And how, how about trying this to take it? you know, to become your next hit. And that's what I would do. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Gina. I really appreciate the time. It's my pleasure. It's always, always a pleasure. Thank All right. You, Steve. Take care. And that's going to do it for another edition of No Script, No Problem. For everybody listening, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I'll answer it on the show. Email those questions to no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio hookup. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.